Whether we're talking about customer service, marketing, or building developer teams, what we try to do here on AI and industry is bring to bear lessons that are transferable so that no matter what industry you're in when you're listening to the show, you can take the ideas and you can run with them. And there's a few more ideas that I think are maybe more transferable, more important across industries than what makes a company ready to adopt AI. When it comes to sort of the willingness and the, the ability to integrate AI into a company's strategy and to fruitfully adopt the technology to really see an ROI, what do the companies that win there have in common? And what are the companies who are not ready, who are too fearful and maybe become too slow as a consequence, what do they have in common? Well, there's probably few companies in the AI vendor space that are aiming to sell AI more ardently into the enterprise than Salesforce, and there's few people that know more about how that process is going than Allison Witherspoon, who's a senior director of product marketing for Salesforce Einstein, which is their artificial intelligence layer on top of the Salesforce product, which has been kind of a push for the last two years, but uh, more functional and sort of making its way into their work with their clients in the last year or so. We interview Allison this week at Salesforce headquarters, Salesforce Tower. So cool to be back there. The, the building itself was actually being built when I lived in the Bay Area. I'm now back in Boston. And it's neat to be able to kind of see the inside and check out all the pictures. We'll make sure actually on the article that goes up around this interview, we'll have a bunch of the photos from kind of inside the building. It was pretty cool. Um, but we, we get to really dive deep with Allison for about 20 minutes about what the successful adopting companies have in common and what the companies that are maybe a little fearful and slow have in common. I essentially ask Allison that when we're communicating with the boardroom and we're interacting with a group of folks, what are the telltale signs that this is a group that probably gets it and that we have a good chance of really knocking the ball out of the park and delivering value with AI versus what are the qualities that groups have in common that, that maybe let us know that they aren't really ready for AI, that maybe they're not prepared for the conversation on their own end or able to sort of take it on as a strategic imperative within their company. Uh, Allison, unlike some of the other folks we've interviewed here on AI and industry, does not write the code, nor does she necessarily think up the new product features that need to be built, but is the one with the very important job of communicating those features and getting those points across to the C-suite and to the board. Uh, and I think the lessons learned there from Salesforce's many efforts, I, I hope, will be helpful for the folks tuned in if you're aiming to uh, set yourself up for a more fruitful adoption of the technology. You might as well know across the board what seems to be working and what doesn't. And I think Allison did a great job with that during this interview. So you might hear a bit of an echo. We were in a conference room in Salesforce Tower, but lots of meat here. So I hope you enjoy this one. So without further ado, I'm Dan Fagella. You're listening to AI and Industry. And this is Allison Witherspoon with Salesforce Einstein. So, Allison, I figure where we start off, we'll talk about what makes sort of enterprise leaders occasionally fearful of artificial intelligence. Maybe it seems intimidating. It seems like maybe it requires things that they don't have, or maybe it's too complicated. What do you see fear coming from, from the C-suite when people respond with a little bit of a recoil? Sure. So the good news is I think we've seen a bit of a pendulum swing in the past three to five years where I call it the AI fear hurdle. I think we've seen that start to lower a little bit. And I think as I talk to more and more customers and executives, people are warming up to AI. It's taken a bit longer, obviously definitely a bit longer for the enterprise and the consumer world. Yeah. But we are starting to see more and more, especially astute companies, leading companies, 
understand the fact that they need to have an AI strategy in place. That being said, there are still, and I kind of bucket them into four main categories of, of the fear hurdles that we see in artificial intelligence. The first, I think, is just defining the problem or what we consider to be the use case for AI. I think a lot of companies just don't even know where to get started. And so they just don't get started because they don't know the right problems for machine learning to solve. Yeah. Well, that's a, that's a tough just to touch on that real quick. I mean, I know we've got four of these, but mm-hmm. I think that's so critical because mm-hmm. that's not an easy one to solve, right? Yeah. You have to understand the landscape of of where can this new tool, which which frankly is hard to explain in a sentence, yeah. where could it fit into your business? Yeah. So just that one alone, how are you seeing people trying to juggle with that? Yeah. And I always like to say, start with one and then prove out the value and move on. So we talk to a lot of companies who maybe have a list 20 items long of use cases that they see for AI, everything from predicting churn to predicting deal conversion, all of these different things that they want to do, all these different kinds of models they want to build. And I just say, start with the low-hanging fruit, start with one, prove out the value to your business users who are actually going to be interacting with whatever the output of that model is, the prediction that this model makes, and then move on from there. So I think helping folks to prioritize that list of 20 and then helping them kind of figure out what the low-hanging fruit is that might be good for an automated tool versus where they need their data scientists to focus. And I can imagine you guys are a part of this conversation. Oh, yeah. Times, right. Because that's, that's how a lot of these vendors, you have to be hands-on with the educating as well because yeah. they're not showing up with that already. We call it solution mapping yep. here. And yep. as a vendor, we're more than that. We're a strategic partner. And so that means that we have to help our customers look through that long list of 20 use cases, help them solution map, help them figure out where our technology can fit in, and help them quite honestly figure out which use cases are better left for data scientists. Um, so that's an exercise that we do with our customers all the time. And yeah. I think it's it's really necessary. Yeah, it's it's funny because of, you know, in the startup world, you guys are a huge company uh, and have been around for quite a long time. And in the startup world, I think people also have to end up doing this because whether you're selling into, you know, for example, a lot of our audiences, banking and pharma, you're not walking into a room of folks that are already going to have click all yeah. the, the concepts and, and use cases. So they have to do the same mapping, but they don't have the same team and budget. So for them, exactly. it's kind of annoying. It's like, damn, we want the market share. We want the lock-in. It'd be great to just have a product that could sell, but we know we got to do this dance yeah. first. But I, I, think, I guess it's a necessary thing. And you bring you know? up a really good point. I think we like to say like AI is going to be the next competitive differentiator. It's yeah, going to define the next set of this. winners yeah. and losers, just like mobile, just like social, just like all these big tech trends of the past 10, 15 years, just like cloud. And so companies know that they need to do something with AI. Like we get customers that come in there. We know we need to be thinking about AI, but we don't know where to start. And I always go back to start with the use case, start with the use case and don't start with the technology. And I think back to kind of the biggest lessons we've learned over the past two, two years since Einstein's been in market, you will never win a conversation with a customer. If you go in and you pitch AI or you pitch machine learning, or you pitch natural language processing, or you pitch deep learning, especially to C-suite, especially to executives, they don't care. They have a, they have acute business problems that yeah. they want their vendors to help them solve. Things like churn, things like deal scoring, all of those kinds of things. If you start with the business problem, if you start with the pain and you speak to them in human language and you don't lead with the tech, you will win them over. Yeah, I think you can 
it's a dangerous line for vendors because you can get the retweets and the little press thing because like you can say on your homepage, we're using machine learning yeah. to, and then some bold claim and some schmo will go and write about mm-hmm. you. Um, like we'll make fun of you, but some other schmo will go and write about you. Uh, like unless you have real deal AI people. And sometimes that same machine learning angle is going to le- get the middle manager to download a white paper, mm-hmm. but it's never going to win in the CC. Exactly. So what you're saying is you get into the the boardroom, you got to start with the problem. You've got to start with their yeah. business pains. So that's only the first hurdle. Anyway, okay. I can talk no, about you. No more interruptions. Forever. All right. Well, um, so that's kind of where I see everyone's journey with AI starting, really defining those use cases. Then once you have your use cases in place, it's all about the data. And this is the number one most common challenge that we hear from our customers is, okay, we think we know, we think we have this kind of AI project that we're ready to set out on, but we don't know the the data that we need. It might live in multiple sources. We don't know how to bring it all together. We don't know how to clean it and scrub it and make sure it's not biased. We don't know if we have enough of it to even make machine learning valuable. So all of these questions around data. Yeah. And that's, that's where the solution thing comes in because you have to show up for that too. And hopefully at some point, I don't know if you'd agree with this, but at some point, just like the internet, you know, we remember like 1995, I was too young to remember, probably we were, but I imagine business people were like, what do we do with the web? You know? (laughs) Uh, And and eventually like now anybody in a management position understands what the internet is and, and what maybe is made possible by it and, and kind of what, to some degree, what works and what doesn't. Is it going to be a lot of vendors doing this, educating, and a mm-hmm. lot of events and a lot of books and a lot of until you walk into the room and people kind of get where it fits? Yeah. They kind of understand their data assets. Like, is it going to be years until we get there or do we never get there with the C-suite? Yeah, I don't know. I think it's um, it's going to require a bit of handholding in the short term. I definitely think you have to. And this was kind of my hurdle three and four, which I, I tend to lump together, is really around trust and change management. Because I think they kind of are, are part and parcel. Yeah, yeah. So with change management, we think about the business users whose routines will be affected by the AI. So if let's just take um, an example like lead scoring, for example. If we turn on machine learning and we're scoring all of the leads for a company and telling them which ones are most likely least likely to convert that sales rep has to start trusting a machine now versus in the past, maybe they were scoring by intuition or maybe they had a different way that they were calling down on their leads every day. They're comfortable. Exactly. So they have a historic way of doing things. We're asking them to change it. We're asking them to trust a number that's all of a sudden being served up to them. That requires some change management and some trust. And so it's about building things into the tooling, into the process, into the modeling where one, we're exposing why things are scored the way they scored so that that sales rep starts to trust that number. Transparency. Transparency, exactly. So we like to say like AI is not just a black box. We're showing you the underlying factors that contribute to that score. So that's one piece. And then the second piece is giving them the autonomy to kind of act on that information and also influence it. So one, nothing's ever being done automatically without their oversight. But then two how they interact with that score automatically then goes back and feeds into the model. So the model is constantly learning from how a sales rep interacts with that lead score. Yeah. yeah. So maybe it's empowering to some degree to know, hey, if I close that deal Mm -hmm. and then I put that into the system, the model is going to be updated very slightly to say, what are the common factors that made this close at 50% the normal length of of a a deal? And then you start building that trust into the process. Yeah. That's, man. I mean, again, I think a lot of vendors, little guys listening in are not going to be as aware of how real this is Mm -hmm. because black box is a serious problem Mm -hmm. and to get around it for all use cases is 
really challenging because yeah. in some cases it really is a black box. Um, you know, you had mentioned maybe in some cases it's not. Do you find that transparency is the critical kind of mode for overcoming that in, in some sense? Is it kind of bringing the subject matter experts who maybe aren't the techies into the conversation about how we build it? What gets people to get that buy-in cross-functionally? I think there's a couple things. One is I think you have to settle on a KPI and prove out the ROI before you turn the AI on. So let's take lead scoring, for sure. example. The way that you measure if a lead is converting and whether your leads are converting effectively is lead lift. Are you converting more leads? And so if we can prove out to a set of sales reps, hey, if we turn on AI, you're going to see a 3x increase in your lead conversion. Then they kind of sit up on the edge of their seat. And so I think if you can start doing that ROI modeling and prove that out before you even turn on the features, before you even invest in the projects, whatever it might be, you start getting their buy-in because they see how their life will improve. Whether it's a productivity gain, time saved, deal conversion, win rates, whatever that metric is that you settle on, prove it out ahead of time. But then back to this idea too of kind of black box and transparency with every single prediction that, that Einstein makes for Salesforce, for example, we ship what's called predictive factors. So for lead scoring, for example, you wouldn't just see a 95 or a 72. Next to that number, you would see why it's being scored the way it is, the top five negative and the top five yeah, positive yeah, yeah. correlating factors. So a positive contributing factor could be zip code or the lead source or recency or whatever. Exactly. And so those kinds of triggers and that kind of information also helps with the transparency. That's yeah, that's cool. And I think that the, the transparency issue, I don't think the industry as a whole has been able to really wrestle yeah. with. And obviously you guys are selling into the enterprise, so you have to deal with mm -hmm. it. Finance, healthcare, all these guys, nobody wants to do something in a, in a way that's not quite understood. What I wonder, and, and clearly you guys have some experience with this, is when a system gets off the ground, it's not always going to be perfect from day one, yeah. right? Uh, we're, we're doing a lead scoring model. Fortunately, it's not facing the customers. We're facing maybe our sales team. Mm -hmm. But off the bat, maybe there's there's going to be some pruning. There's going to be yeah. some culling. How do we minimize sort of the frustration factor there? Because you can yeah. see if the if the beta version went out to all the sales folks, they might be like, I'm never using this. Yeah. Is there a small cohort that needs to get that training down pat? How does this work? Yeah. So we have actually some customers who will turn this feature on and do an A-B test. So they'll turn it on for maybe half their reps and they'll let the other half continue with whatever mm. method they're doing, okay. maybe intuition-based. Cool. And they do kind of an internal bake-off. Once again, the back to this idea of proving out the value ahead of time, if we can show in this kind of A-B test that the model works better than intuition, we can get the buy-in from that second cohort. Um, so that's one example. I think, yeah, it's just tricky. It's uh, It, it requires, it's yeah, it requires trust back to the whole change management piece too. I think the more that we can do to make it easy for the C-suite to consume this information without ever... Uh, having to expose a model. Like you, you get into rooms and they're like, well, maybe you'll have a data scientist in the room who wants to see the model, but nine times out of 10, you're going to be talking to people who don't care. They don't care. They don't, yep. they don't want to know no. how the prediction's being made or what data is being fed in. They just want back to this idea of some business what being do I spend and what is it? Exactly. It? Yeah. So, okay. And then that's, that's, uh, that's, again, looping back around. You can get people to opt in for a curiosity white paper, mm -hmm. but you're not really going to hold interest unless, like you said, you have that KPI that we can all say, 
that would be great. Yeah. Uh, or, or that core compelling. Yeah. And another piece too, not just go for it. in addition to the kind of the, the bake off idea, the AB testing is models should constantly be refining and getting better. And that's one thing that we uh, as Salesforce believe in is that our models are constantly being rerun, reshipped to customers based on all of that indirect and direct feedback. So direct feedback could be um, as simple as a thumbs up, thumbs down arrow in a chatbot conversation. Yeah, was this yeah. conversation yeah. helpful? It was helpful. Great. The model will learn from that. It was a good conversation. Versus kind of indirect feedback, back to that lead scoring example, maybe Salesforce or Einstein scores a lead at 95. It does not end up converting. Okay, that was a pretty crummy lead score. The model will learn from that. So this idea that it's not just you ship it once and it's done, but that it's constantly tuning, it's constantly learning as you go. And there's there's a balance with that part too, where that that culling, that iterating, and the monitoring of that, mm-hmm. because there is a way for algorithms to drift in wacky and weird yeah. ways. So someone's got to stay on top of it. I imagine a lot of the time selling into the enterprise, it's going to be the vendor that's kind of staying on top of the model and kind of, I don't want to say consultative or coaching in some sense, but that is there in a technical way to kind of see that iteration continue to mature. Mm-hmm. Is that sort of how it works generally on the Einstein side? Yeah, or, so or a, there, lot of, a lot of yeah. the Einstein features at Salesforce in particular are what we call like admin enabled. So a Salesforce admin is going to go into setup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're okay. going to turn them on. They're going to be the ones okay. configuring them. They're going to be the ones monitoring them. So we also ship model metrics with our models. So you can actually see the strength of the prediction, the strength of the model, and you can see that trend over time. So and they so, have technical talent. They can actually get a little bit of that. They can say, okay. Well, exactly. Yeah. So we don't have to monitor that for our customers. Yeah. We give them the tools. We give the admins, the super users, yeah. the tools to monitor themselves. And hopefully they see that trend line going up and to the right as that model is constantly learning and yeah. tuning and getting better. And I think the the ideal promise would be like, hey, we tackle all this stuff, right? Because a lot of these mm-hmm. these enterprises might not have the data science talent. But you said some do, and they're yeah. going to want to be able to see a little bit behind the scenes. Exactly. But that's a delicate dance because there's some there's some solutions where there is kind of a handoff of yeah. the management of that algorithm versus an ongoing admin supported. And we thing. get that question a lot. We get a lot of customers who come in and they say, well, it's great that Einstein can do a lot of this kind of these CRM-specific use cases, but I also have a team of data scientists internally who have already built a churn model, who have already built a lead scoring model. And I say, that's fine. Like Einstein, any AI system can coexist with an internal team of data scientists. It's back to that use case list. What are your 20 use cases? What can machine learning from Einstein just chop off versus what do you need your experts who know your business, who know your data, who can focus on more complex use cases that are specific to your company, save that for your data scientists. Yeah, yeah. The future mix of buy and build in AI mm-hmm. is a, a big floating question mark oh, yeah. in, in the in the enterprise world. I want to get to, to a question that I think will be our last, but I think it'll be a good one. We talked about what tends to inspire fear, and we mm-hmm. also tackled a bit of how to get over some of those things. There are probably some clients for, you know, in your guys' case, Einstein, who you know, when you, when you walk into the room, you know, you're in the, the boardroom there with the C-suite, it feels like, ooh, you know, this will be pretty easy to kind of get this up and going. And they, they understand what they're talking about. And it seems like getting an ROI with this squad of people is going to be mm-hmm. nice. This feels like low-hanging fruit. What are those common factors? What feels like low-hanging fruit? What do those teams have in common where we feel like maybe they're ready yeah. to make this stuff work? Is it having the data ready? Is it yeah. the talent? Is it? It kind of goes back to those four things and the inverse of them. Yeah. They okay. know the use cases. They have their data in one place in a structured format because in order to do machine learning, your data has to be structured. And that's the beautiful thing about Salesforce. All of our data sits on fields 
on records in objects. So it's that beautifully structured data we can already start learning from. So they come in with a very clear idea of their use cases. Like I did a customer meeting a few weeks ago and the customer came in and said, we know we need chatbots for service. We know we need some next best action workflow engine. Like they came in and they already knew exactly the problems that they needed to solve. So it's a very easy conversation to have with them. So yeah, I would say kind of, they come in knowing their use case, the problems they're trying to solve. They come in with the IT and LOB alignment. So back to this so idea they've already of, done that a little bit. Exactly. Okay. So they've already brought in the departments that are going to be affected by AI. For chatbots, maybe it's customer service. For email scoring, it's your marketers. Whatever it might be, they have that business group in the room who's experiencing the pain. Because it's not IT that's experiencing the pain. It's that marketer. It's that sales rep. It's that service agent. So that person is in the room, the person who's going to be using the features, consuming the AI, and the IT decision maker. And you have a line between those two constituent groups. All right. I have one sub question below this, but I think this is a really important point for the listeners is mm-hmm. that no one's going to get around that alignment issue. No, no mm-hmm. C-suite's going to just bust in AI. You know, yeah. There's going to be the IT conversation. There's going to be the subject matter conversation. There has to be the buy-in from the, from the executives. And then we can start really thinking yeah. about this stuff. Those execs, they understand the use cases. They have their data in order. Where'd they learn this stuff? Are they just born and bred in San Francisco and those are the guys that can do it? Do they go to a lot of events? Are they Googling a bunch? Yeah. You know, what, what the heck gets folks to that level? Because I think a lot of people want to be there. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if there's kind of one answer, or one silver bullet. I think it's probably the same folks who invested in mobile apps and invested in social back in the day. And invested fighting in the hard conference. to stay on the edge, basically. Exactly. Yeah. And I think the important thing is it doesn't just have to be the big enterprises. And that's really kind of our mission at Salesforce is democratizing access to this type of technology. Because I think in the past, there's this misconception that, oh, well, in order to do AI, like I'm never going to be able to do AI. I can't hire data scientists. They're the most expensive people to hire these days. True. And they're too hard to come by. Like, I guess I'll just never, never scratch the surface of that. And so it's about how do you ship features and functionality that any size company, whether you're a six person nonprofit or multi hundreds of thousands, big corporation, you can leverage the technology and leverage the insights. And the customer meeting example that I just gave you about a couple weeks ago, when I did the customer meeting, they came in, they asked for chatbots, they asked for rules engine. That was a very small, like 40 person startup based in the Midwest. So every company is starting to think about this. Every company is hearing about it. And we don't want it to just be the big companies who win this race. Yeah. And I think to make things price accessible and data accessible to the little guys is a, that's going to be a, um, a spectacle to watch. And I'll certainly be watching and I'll be rooting for you guys. So that's all we have for time. Allison, glad we got to interview you. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. That's all for this episode on the AI and Industry Podcast, where we explore the applications and implications of AI in your business or industry. And when it comes to those benefits of real insight in terms of artificial intelligence applications in business, this show is really just the tip of the iceberg. AI and Industry is produced by Tech Emergence, and over at techemergence.com, you can find actionable industry-specific coverage, including case studies, unique market research with charts and graphs, and regular coverage of the AI applications of both the hottest startups here in the Bay Area, as well as what Fortune 500 companies are doing with AI today. Everything from marketing and advertising, business intelligence, to specific industries like 
finance, and healthcare, you can stay ahead of the curve and stay on the right side of disruption by visiting techemergence.com. And when you're there, make sure to sign up for our weekly newsletter on the left-hand side of the page. Uh, Most of our podcast listeners get the episodes directly to their inbox every week. You'll be joining tens of thousands of other business leaders who join us from all over the world to stay ahead of the curve of AI in their specific industry. So that's techemergence.com. I'm Dan Fagella. This is AI and Industry, and we'll catch you next week.